Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, nau mai haramai ki tō tātou au hurihuri. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, ko Clerk and Kananahau. Nā mihi o te tau hau pākia. Best wishes for 2023. Ane te rau papaputai au ki te raumati. This is the Summer Science Series, where we play some new podcasts for you while we take a summer break. Last August, cameras across central Otago and Southland picked up a fiery ball in the sky, sparking a multi-day search across some Otago farmland for New Zealand's 10th meteorite. The race is on to find an asteroid which is believed to have landed somewhere near Dunedin. A spectacular fireball was captured by night sky cameras shooting across the Otago region on the 28th of August. Only nine meteorites are confirmed to have reached New Zealand soil over the last 150 years. Well, only nine. The camera network, fireball, and subsequent search are the subject of an episode of the Otago Chronicles, a University of Otago podcast produced by marine science and science communication student Max Bellock. In this episode, Knowing the Night Sky, Max speaks to geologist Dr. James Scott about looking upwards. At Dunstan High School in Alexandra, Associate Professor James Scott of the Geology Department is up on a ladder, installing a special sort of observational camera. The camera looks very much like a standard security camera, a small white hull with what looks like a baseball cap sitting on its head to shield its lens. This camera, though, has its neck at what looks like a terribly uncomfortable angle as it stretches out and up 90 degrees from the wall, craning up at the sky. When the students come to visit during the school day, the camera is sleeping, saving its energy. For every night, it rises from its slumber and opens its lens to stare up at the inky night sky. There are many of these cameras speckled about New Zealand, waking up at sundown, working together to monitor the darkness for meteors. So what the camera setup is, is that it's part of a program called Fireballs Aotearoa, and it's really only got off the ground in about February this year. And the goal of it is, is to unite a series of universities, astronomers, and, and the public by providing, uh, well, by having these cameras built and mounted. They're actually relatively easy to build. But we can build a camera in about 20 minutes, and then that connects to a small computer known as a Raspberry Pi, and that was provided by the Raspberry Pi Foundation for the most part. Uh, this small computer tells the camera when to capture data, so over the night period, and the sensor on the camera is triggered when there are bright flashes. So uh, every time there's a meteor, the camera captures an image. So we have these cameras as part of a participatory science platform grant administered by the Otago Museum. We've got funding to buy 20 of these cameras and deploy them across Otago. 
And uh, part of our goal was to have these largely placed in uh, schools because the idea is that the, the students then can engage with the, the night sky themselves. They have their own camera that tells them what their night sky is capturing. In, in times of intense meteor showers, which happen throughout the year, we've had cameras catch up to about 400 meteors in a single evening in one area of the night sky. A meteoroid is a chunk of rock and metal sailing through the solar system no bigger than about a metre. Most meteorites are from the realm of the asteroid belt, a great cluster of rocky, glassy and metallic bodies located between Mars and Jupiter. Under the immense gravity of nearby planets, meteoroids may be launched from the asteroid belt to travel through the solar system. Some meteoroids are instead fragments of asteroids, the moon, or even Mars, hurled into space after some large impact. A meteoroid becomes a meteor as it enters Earth's atmosphere. As it submerges in the relatively thick soup of air molecules, it begins to heat and burn. Many meteors burn up soon after entering the atmosphere, unable to overcome the immense heat generated by the descent. This is the bright, fiery tail seen as they die in a blaze of glory. Some, though, grit their teeth and tear a streak in the sky as they burn in a bright fireball descending towards the surface of a great blue marble. And we'd had them out for about a month with the anticipation that maybe in a year or two we might capture something. Um, but after, after about four weeks, um, three of those cameras picked up um, a very bright fireball in the night sky. And, and a fireball is basically a very bright meteor. Um, and, it, and it's really bright because it gets in quite close to um, Earth's surface before it winks out and goes, goes dark. These cameras, they record every night and, and during the day, they upload that information to a global repository, but we get to know what the cameras have captured each night. And so it came pretty quickly that three of them in Otago and um, uh, two in Southland um, had picked up an extremely bright fireball with a trajectory that had come in from um, over the Southern Alps from the west and had come shooting towards um, Otago. And it had fallen, I mean, I just, I just couldn't believe that it had landed right in the middle of our camera network that we'd only just uh, deployed. As this particular meteor hurtled through the sky, it was traveling at around 15 kilometers per second. This is equivalent to 54,000 kilometers an hour. As it began to burn into the bright fireball captured by the cameras, it slowed down to only three kilometers per second, which is apparently slow enough to stop the burning and causes the meteor to wink out into invisibility. As a result of compressing that air in front of the, the meteor, it actually slows down and it gets to a point um, where the speed is such that the, it's no longer heating uh, the gas sufficiently to cause the rock to melt. And as a result, the fireball kind of winks out. So um, it's the meteorite's still there, still going towards the, the target area, but it, it goes into what's known as dark flight. So we saw the luminescent trajectory, and then from that information, um, the dark flight, which is kind of a cool name for the, the, what happens next, but the dark flight is calculated on the basis of wind speed data, which was generated from a, a Met Service station. The Global Meteor Network got on board and they used their 
computing powers to calculate where that strewn field should be and narrowed it down to a couple of kilometres long by a couple of hundred metres wide um, in a farm west of Outram. Because of the camera system set up only four weeks earlier, the footage could be watched back and then used to calculate the speed, trajectory and dark flight path of the meteor, and then figure out where it was likely to have landed, an area called the Struenfield. When the meteor meets the Earth's surface, it is then deemed a meteorite, and the hunt begins. My students from, and colleagues from the University of Otago established a, a two-day hunt where they assembled uh, somewhere in the realms of about 100 people. And um, then they worked out uh, sort of small areas in that field where these uh, different groups could work walking in a systematic grid. So they would walk over an area to make sure that um, that area was sort of checked out. And then they'd move on to the next area and take that one off and so on. And so for that, that area that the Struenfield was, was um, supposed to be, the meteorite, um, the, the groups walked very f- efficiently, effectively over that area to, to try and work out whether it could be there or where it should, should be. <laughs> and, well, I guess this kind of alludes to the matter that after a rigorous search effort, the meteor hasn't been found. Yeah, <laughs> if, if we'd found it, we'd, we'd, you'd all know um, about tenth, New Zealand's 10th meteorite, absolutely. So um, it hasn't been found. Many of these fireballs don't actually uh, result in a meteorite um, that's because they burn up so much material. Uh, this one, ha- however, we're fairly confident that a, a multi-kilogram uh, mass high, was highly likely to have reached the surface of the Earth without burning up. So we're fairly confident that there's something there but it's very even with a calculated strewn field that makes a series of assumptions about the object shape um, its, its velocity uh, its trajectory what the wind was doing at that time you know an errant wind gust would, would blow um, that meteorite off its uh, trajectory and we wouldn't know that because if, if it's just a small thing then the wind data won't re- reveal it. So even, even with a strewn field, we'd require luck to find one of these things. And, and I guess th- this time it, it wasn't with us. Somewhere in Otago, there sits a small meteorite, perhaps under a tree or submerged in mud. It travelled all the way from the asteroid belt, a multi-million kilometre journey through the void before tearing a gash in the night sky through which public engagement and science interest poured. There, there are two reasons that drive this project forward, and the first is to find a meteorite in New Zealand. We only have nine, so finding the tenth one would be significant. And then we would get to analyse it and find out the secrets of the solar system that it preserves. And the other thing, of course, is with this project is that we, it's really aimed at engaging with the public. We really want the public to see that just what the night sky is like. We want them to know that it's it's a busy place. We want them to know that you can you can do this kind of stuff in New Zealand. You don't have to be part of NASA to to study the night sky. We we can do it. We're doing it at Otago. We can analyze meteorites at Otago. So so we can do this space research here. And the idea is to encourage students that they can see that as a it is a pathway forward for them. It's not something that's done in, in other countries. It's something that we New Zealanders can contribute to. 
As we speak, there are thousands more meteorites trekking through the solar system. One may well be on its way from the asteroid belt, or maybe from the moon, or maybe from Mars, looking for a landing spot amongst the realm of Aotearoa. When the next cosmic visitor arrives, the camera system will wake and track the fireball as it dives through our atmosphere, right into our hands. And we've got another 10 schools uh, that will get cameras. The schools can request their own fireball camera. Um, if they go to fireballs.nz, which is our website, there's a sort of a sign up um, button. There's a bit of a queue at the moment, uh, but the other option is that the actual building of a camera isn't a, a particularly difficult task. And, um, and then there are plans afoot to try and get more uh, with, through with the public. So the public would, they would actually, they would purchase a camera that we'd built and they would install it themselves. We end up with a, you know, such a dense, dense network across New Zealand. But if anything fell, then we would be able to be able to go out, assemble all of the footage from the relevant cameras, accurately determine where these, this thing was, and then go out and do a hunt for it. And then after that, assuming it was found, hopefully it's found, we'd do the analysis of it and be able to tell, um, you know, something more about the solar system. And it's just, it's just such an awesome opportunity to be able to put our hands on this material or hopefully put our hands on the material. That's the goal. I think it'll happen, but this time it wasn't to be. That was Knowing the Night Sky with Associate Professor James Scott, an episode of the Otago Chronicles, a University of Otago podcast produced and presented by Max Ballock. Additional sound engineering was by William Saunders. Thanks for following the Our Changing World podcast. And you can check out our website at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworlds or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter at rnzscience. Remember, there are heaps of other great podcasts available on RNZ. Next week, we've lined up an episode of the Aotearoa History Show for you. It explores the introduction of pests and predators to Aotearoa, essentially the backstory to the ongoing conservation battles that we face today. Until then, from me, Claire Cannon, thanks for listening and kia pai tō wiki.